A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I was going to say, did you chat Niall Horan at all, or what was the character? No, in fact, no, I boycotted that because I went to the other school in Mullingar than him. Uh, there were two graduates of the music school of St. Vinnie's College in Mullingar in the room, been late, <laughs> made listen to a CBS fella. Hello, and you're very welcome along to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined in studio... In studio, because it feels like the first time in ages. Well, I never. By news correspondent Zara King. Hello, Zara, hello, how are you? And by news correspondent Richard Chambers. Richard, hello. Hey. It's great to be all around the same table again. Do you remember when we started talking about doing yeah. a podcast and part of our discussion was like, at least we could manufacture a reason where we'd actually sort of get to all be in the same place once a week? Sort of feel like I really value that now because we haven't been able to do it for so long. For a couple mm. of weeks. It's actually one year this week of the podcast. It is. Yeah, which yeah. is lovely. Which I remember as being uh, the anniversary of Bill Martin getting COVID. Oh, yeah. what we talked about <laughs> on the first episode. The more things change, uh, the more they stay the same. Uh, how is everyone? Good, yeah, good. I mean, I, last week I was so cocky about beating the jet lag and yet here I am having not had a great night's sleep for the whole week. I thought it was week. way too early. <laughs> I just thought it was way too early. So I that, keep... That's me taking down a peg because I thought actually that I'd slotted back in pretty well. So yeah. I'm going to be... Although we were all away. awake in the middle of the night of the night. Somebody texted the WhatsApp group and everyone replied at like half four in the morning. And I was WhatsApp like, why are we alive, all yeah. awake yeah. at half four in the morning? <laughs> I blame children. Uh, anyway, it's great to be back in. I hope everyone's well. Um, the the first thing we obviously have to talk about is all the housing stuff and evictions ban and whatnot. Before we sort of get into the the high politics of what's going on in the Dáil and whether the government could collapse over all this, maybe we should just start with a very real illustration of where things are right now. Richard, you've been spending a, a bit of time this week on daft just looking to see what's Much like a lot daft. of people will be yeah for yeah. the next next period of time as they're mm-hmm. handed notices to quit and just as you make the point there that uh before we get into the high politics of it again as we've made the point so many times on this is that for a lot of people i feel that they lose sight of the fact that there are people at the end of all these things mm. uh, and i feel that's n- that has never been more noticeable i think in irish politics than in some of the horse trading and talk about oh whether or not the government will survive or whether this government td will do that well, in order. and obviously that matters obviously mm. that matters in terms of well obviously you know if the government doesn't survive x happens and y happens but at the end of the day we are in a situation where housing campaigners say and i i have heard from mm. Dozens and dozens of tenants across the country. You were only talking to Peter McVeigh earlier this week. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is a disaster waiting to happen is what the, is the feeling from the housing campaigners. There are people who are frightened to death of what is going to happen. And yet we have people who are like, whose main focus for this whole thing seems to be wh- whether or not a green TD will jump over the fence or not. Mm-hmm. Like, come on and get real. For so a second here, it's on these all things. getting a bit lofty or a bit sort of conceptual. It's not lofty. And, and there's, nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing lofty about people worrying about what green TD is going to be out for four months or not when this thing passes, which it will. The counter motion will pass. Yeah. Uh, okay. Spoiler alert for what's coming yeah. in a few minutes. It will pass. Will yeah. pass, right? So why are we worrying so much about what green TD is going to be sitting on the sidelines for four months or not when people are not going to have a home to live in? 
Fair. Anyway. Fair. All right. That's, okay. that's, my, that's, my, that's my starting point anyway, on this. this. How this, is Daft doing this weather? Not great. Not great, as the, <laughs> as the, as the weather says. Um, so I had a look at a couple, a couple of the, the, the issues which are going to be very pertinent for people, particularly, I'd say, amongst our, our, um, our, our listenership in terms of shared uh, houses in shared, or rooms in shared houses, I should say, mm. and one bed accommodation, because that is something which is a key shortage always throughout the last number of years, and in particular now. Not okay. very good. So it's a start in one bed. So this is a one bed property is available for rent in Dublin City. Currently 290 of those available, okay. uh, which isn't great in a huge city like Dublin. No. Uh, but like, when you get down to the regional cities, and this is often what is lost in the, in the housing crisis, mm. is how bad the situation is mm. in rental situation uh, in the other cities. So seven one beds available uh, uh, in Cork City. Seven. 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 31 okay. in total for maximum seven number of beds. Like one, two, three, four, four. five, six. That's it. Seven. Sorry, that's your selection. Th- 31 in of, total. Of, of 31, 31 properties, properties available for rent in Cork City. And when you say one bed now, are we talking like studio, like yeah. your, your oven touching your bed territory? A lot of them are that. A lot of them are that. So you have your, your kitchen counters beside your, your mattress, basically, in a lot of them. Uh, some of them are one bed, so it'll be designated. Like How much are they? Are they like... Uh, you have a range of these things as well. Some of them will be upwards of, you know, I think that the biggest I saw in Cork City, and this is obviously a moving situation, but some of the time people are listening to this, it might be mm-hmm. out of date. Some of them were up to like 1,900 to 2,000 euro. With the oven to touch the bed. Yeah, effectively. Like in Galway, four oh, one beds available, 33 in total. In Limerick City, two one beds available, six in total. Six properties, six properties available in Limerick City, and I should say that of the third the t- biggest city in the republic. Yes, six properties. Yes, and Gavin, the two one beds available in Limerick, both of those are renting for over two thousand euros each. Oh my god! Uh, so that's um, unaffordable, as the well. people in Novus Housing, which is a great housing charity in in Limerick, would say. Um, just in terms of the rooms in shared houses. Yes. Okay. In Dublin, you have a total of 572 rooms available in Dublin City. Okay. Seems like a big number. But But when you think of the population of Dublin City and outside in commuter counties and people who are just moving to Dublin. But sorry, isn't there like 7,500 notices to quit pending now? Yeah. And there's 500 rooms. Like those numbers don't matter. But but also just one point on the rooms in houses to share. I've I've differentiated this because some of these houses are going to be owner-occupied as well. Some of them are going to be not owner occupied because most people would rather not live with their landlord. Live with the landlord. Yeah, yeah, sure. For simplicity reasons. So 572 in total, 333 in Dublin are non owner occupied. So, two, so 240 people, if they want to live anywhere, they're going to have to be renting a room in someone else's house and they're living with the owner and the owner is the landlord with yeah. all the mm-hmm. discomfort that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in Cork, 67 rooms in houses to share in Cork City, 28 of them non-owner occupied. 53 in Galway, 23 non-owner occupied. And 33 total to share in Limerick, 14 non-owner occupied. That's uh, like that like th- that to me is almost a, a far worse illustration than the shortage of one beds because like that's the the standard entry level thing if you're an adult like you're you're leaving college and you need to stay in the city but like you don't have a group of people that you want to get a full house with mm-hmm. so you just want to get to, get mm-hmm. a room somewhere. That to me seems like the much more practicable net effect of all of this. And like if those rooms just aren't there. Yeah. Then but, people who are in like a, a, a mutual tenancy who are living with friends who are about to be thrown out because the notices to quit or being allowed to yeah. to take effect. Like, those people have nothing. 
But for families, like, there's no real, that's no good to families. It's no so, good to people with kids. So there are, yeah, there are, obviously, we could we could spend all day going through the daft in terms of multi-rooms, mm. uh, yeah. properties and stuff like that. But again, again, it's all very short. It's all few and far between. Mm. Leo Varadkar, even uh, a yeah. couple of weeks ago, just before he went over to Washington, was saying, like, I mean, there is the situation, he admitted, where on websites like daft and other ones, there, there are a couple of them which do this. Like, ads will go up and will disappear within minutes yes. because somebody is like I'll take this I'm throwing my deposit at you give me that or I you, need a place to live or you put them up and you get 200 email replies in a couple of minutes so you can take the ad down again so maybe the, the, the level of ads on the site isn't really reflective of how many properties are out there just people are being swamped totally and sorry Arguably, just that yeah. point on the rooms in Dublin some of those rooms are going for like again 18, 1900 euros for a room for a room that's mad in a gaff that or in an apartment and it's like <sighs> no one can afford. That's wild. What's 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 the end point? Sorry, you've been talking to people on Instagram about how they're yeah. going to be affected by all of this. Like, there's a real mix of like there's loads of replies. So we'll kind of pepper them through, and we can discuss them as we go. Like, one of them says, "Petrified here. I'm 10 years. It's damp, but I'm afraid to ring the landlord in case we get put out." Another one said, "I'm a child protection social worker, um, and homelessness has put so much pressure on our service. Families are coming to us with nowhere to go. I can't imagine what next month will be like. Very stressed. My landlord could decide to sell up the house, and Limerick has no housing." with somebody in Limerick mm-hmm. um, there was a few other ones there as well one saying look I'm a small landlord who had no choice but to rent my home but also I should have the right to sell if I need to mm. um, another woman actually sorry another one here a woman who is nearly 60 full time public sector worker lost my long term rental two years ago yeah at that age that wow. is incredibly upsetting that is the thing like, it is actually worth, worth, worth pausing on that point because yeah. we do often look at it as a, as a younger person issue yeah. Yeah. but yeah. for so many yeah. people just haven't been in a position where they can actually buy a property. And this, again, happens. Limerick, Galway, Cork as well, Waterford, mm. Kilkenny as well. Kilkenny has an absolute shortage of rental yeah. properties no, as well. Totally, yeah. Yeah. So it's a, this is across yeah. the board the problem. And we've spoken before as well about some of the shortcomings that you get when people just happen to meet a partner later in life and then they're not able to get a mortgage because they yeah. have, they'd be expected to pay off the mortgage before retirement and nobody can afford the repayments over that shorter term as well. So like those people have no option but to rent. And if there's nothing going in the rental system, then they've got nowhere. But that's that lady's example is sort of what we are heading towards. Like that is the future for us. Like if people can't afford to buy now, you're going to have way more people in their 60s in the next, you know, 20, 30 years are going to find themselves renting and, and mm. in, in insecure accommodation. Um, look, just from a landlord perspective there again, there's another one in here. Landlords need help. I can't afford to rent it. I have to sell up three houses. Rent does not pay my tracker mortgage. Um, I own a house which is rented out three houses yeah I own a house which is rented out while I am renting I need to sell my house now I hope the ban is lifted people in situations like that in fairness like, and some no, of them are accidental landlords for landlords deliberately or accidental but like there is a major issue there where if you um, bought an apartment like we've, we've got colleagues who are in this situation mm. if they bought an apartment during the, the Celtic Tiger years but then they met someone and now they've got a family and they need a bigger property or they need somewhere with a garden but they couldn't afford to buy that one so they're letting out their apartment and the rent that they take in is still subject to income tax and PRSI and USC Mm. and they're losing about half of it and then what they've left behind with is not enough to pay the mortgage like those people are in pretty tricky situations and they're not being helped right now either. And the government's talking about doing something to help them and this is part of what the government has put on the table this week to try and win independent votes. But that's stuff the government's been saying it's going to do for a couple of years and has never been able to figure out what to do. Well, Mm. So it doesn't do it. If it is to help the situation with keeping people in the the accommodation that they're currently living in, i.e. the tax changes coming for landlords, I hope it's probably more effective than the mitigation measures they have announced for lifting this um, 
the, the eviction ban because some of these things already exist and some of them just don't work. Mm. Uh, so, what doesn't work? What, I mean, the, the tenant in situ scheme, right, is has been in place for uh, quite a long time. It, that, is a, that is an established thing which exists. Mm. Mm. What is the point of announcing it as this is our new measure to help people when we yeah. lift the eviction well, ban if it already exists? They, they, they're proposing to buy more properties than they previously how, were. How effective has it been, though, Gavin, as a, as a way of keeping well, people in the, their properties? the government, uh, this is the tricky thing where I end up finding myself sort of repeating the government line. But well, the, no, also, it, this is, this is, we're trying to tease out so the issue. The, the, the government line is that although the number of properties that have been bought thus far is quite small. Yeah. So take, for example, Dublin City Council. Again, mindful that other local authorities are, are equally burdened. Dublin City Council has only managed to complete the purchase of seven properties. Well, complete the purchase is the key thing, though, because the well, Minister is saying the conveyance well, see, this is the po- this, So this is the government's point, that although um, only seven have been completed, that 400 in Dublin City Council alone are still somewhere in the process. Mm. And as long as they're somewhere in the process, then the tenant is safe because they know for certain that the city council is going to be their landlord at the end of it mm-hmm. and the city council has no desire to remove them. Mm-hmm. So they would say, well, technically speaking, really you've, you've protected 400 tenancies by doing this mm-hmm. yeah. and that you just have to wait for the process to run its course. The other one, which I'm, um, I'm still kind of flabbergasted that they keep on mentioning it, is the if you are in a property and your landlord is selling it, <laughs> you will have the first right of refusal to buy the property. But it's that's like, if you have so, the money to buy it. Well, this, like, this, this, this is the point. This is the point, Who's in this situation? I would love to see the numbers when this happens. And I'm, I, I hope to God, I hope to God people who are in this situation who feel that they are about to be evicted by the landlord are able to buy it out from under them. Yeah. I do not well, have much faith well, that this is going to be I something which is going to if resurrect it, people from... Here's an example of somebody who might be in that situation. See here, we've got another lady saying, renting, got eviction notice, have to be out by November. Three young kids, both of us are working, parents and can't save. So that person doesn't have the deposit to buy the house they're living in. What a chance. Well, oh, I, I can't imagine too many people who have the means to buy a property still being in a rental property when rent is now so penal that if you had the money to buy, wouldn't you buy and deal with a far cheaper mortgage than dealing with the rent that's going out the door, which costs maybe about a grand a month more. And here's another one, just more insecurity. My rent was raised by 20% in January. I'm afraid for what's to come. Is that legal? You can't. Uh, there, there are still a few areas that are outside of rent pressure zones, so it's possible, that but it doesn't sound like not it's okay. No, twenty percent. Twenty percent is quite a bit. Twenty percent um, is very Gav, Before we yes. uh, before we get into the how this is all going to play out and what comes next thing, um, what's the, the the vibe to use the overused sort of phrase of the, of, of, of the du jour at the moment yeah. in government around this? Because I asked um, Aim Ryan yesterday in, in the post cabinet thing, and I asked him how comfortable he would be with the fact that his legacy as the leader of the Green Party in government will be that he's lost perhaps a couple of TDs, Mm. but most importantly, is going to be responsible for a change in legislation that led potentially to hundreds, if not thousands of people, being made homeless. And he said, we're going to sort it and we're just going to do whatever we can to prevent people sleeping in guard stations and in parks. I think they know that they have lost in the public's eyes the argument that they know that from a publicity perspective this is irredeemable that yeah. they're that if they even if all of this comes good and even if they are vindicated in time that what they are doing is the least worst option. It's going to take so long for the truth of that to come out that it's not going to help them this side of a general election no matter when that comes anyway. So I think that they know that that's lost. Which, in truth, is why there is a little bit more focus on, and you know, I'm guilty of focusing on this, but you're right to remind us of the human cost of all of this as well, about votes in the dole and what's going to happen. So the vote that's been happening this week, this non-binding vote on the Sinn Féin motion, yeah. um, is all window dressing to a point because it's symbolism, but it's only symbolism and nothing more. But there's another vote coming next week. Labour are tabling a motion of no confidence. And if that passes, the government is literally sacked. 
emotional no confidence we've had in the doll triggers a general election and suddenly this podcast looks very different because we're all doing out on the roads uh, following uh, political parties around the place. Um, so what's happening now in Leinster House is that you're seeing the government, even though it's only symbolism, um, trying to make policy concessions to independent TDs because basically it's a way of almost doing a confidence and supply deal. It's like the last government where Fianna Fáil supported it from the outside. That's basically the point that we're getting to now. Um, if the vote goes through but the Greens lose one or two members and the coalition is once again in a minority, um, doesn't mean that anyone is sacked immediately, but it means that they're dependent on outside and independence. Mm. So you start making policy deals now so that in a vote next week, those independents aren't going to collapse your government because they want to see those policy policies delivered. So that's that's actually a point worth reflecting on in, in, the, in, the, in the overall how this is going to work and how the government is going to survive this, is that this can be quite a positive thing to probably look for a better word for a lot of independent TDs who can start to use this as a way of wielding influence then yeah. mm. on government. They can be like, well, we'll back you in no confidence motion or in the, the, the counter motion yeah. regarding the eviction ban if you start doing X, Y, and Z, which I'd like you to do. Yeah, and, and that's, you can argue that that's kind of part of the reason why people elect independent TDs, that maybe the circumstances come up where you're able to, to leverage stuff out of the government that you wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah. Like, it goes back to the conversation we've had here many times before, though, is that, like, people will eventually have no choice but to leave, and they will leave, because how can you stay if you have nowhere to live? Yeah. And, like, that's another thing that's coming up in the messages. I would have to leave Ireland. There are two houses to rent in my town of 25,000 people. So you are going to go back to that situation and then you're going to have government ministers saying, but young people love to travel. They love to experience things. Mm. Yeah, they do love to travel and experience things. They also things, love, love to live in the same places the that same. all their friends are. And they love to live with, with their family. And they like to are. have a support network around them yeah. and have a family and yeah, all of those things. Of course, it's going to be the bracket that will go because they like to travel. But that person is very clearly saying they would have no choice but mm. to leave because of the circumstances. And I just find that, um, like, is that almost sort of like a cop out then from from the ministers who'll say like, oh, but they love to travel. I mean, I just think if they, they don't have a choice, there's mm. no choice being left yeah. here now. And, and that, that's really what it comes down to is the lack of choice. Um, no doubt it is something that we're going to keep coming back to Look at this time next week, the government could have collapsed over the whole thing. Who I was knows? Gonna, sorry, just was going to say anecdotally while we're just on this, right? When we were driving around LA last week, myself and Mark noticed that there's so many vacant properties in LA. Like, it's a totally different ball game. Like, you drive down a couple of streets and they're like, you know, like apartments to let, places to let. Like, it's as if, I, I actually kind of, my perception of it was that LA seems quite empty and that a lot of people have actually left. It was such a stark contrast to what you see here. And like, LA is such a big city and such a booming and bustling mm. place, you would think. And actually, it just, you know, there just seems to be way more like housing of availability in one of the biggest, you know, places in the world. And and yet Dublin is just absolutely wet. Good for thought. Uh, if you are uh, listening or watching from other parts of the world and you want to let us know about how the housing situation is and whether there might actually be as many vacancies uh, in wherever you are, do let us know. We're all mm. available uh, through all the usual, usual social channels uh, and it is definitely something we're going to be coming back to. Uh, welcome back to the group chat. Um, we need to talk about China or rather, well, are we talking about China? Or are we talking about TikTok? Uh, and Richard, but in can talking... Can talk about one without the other? Well, in talking about TikTok, are nope. you talking about China? And they would like to... Oh, are we? Yes, we know, are. Are we? Oh, are we? We are okay. talking about China. Of course we are. The two, the two things are completely intertwined and it has created a huge amount of fear and concern in governments across the world. And you've seen... People will have seen this, that okay, you have places... So first principles. Why are people concerned? What's going on? People are concerned and governments in particular are concerned because they believe that TikTok and the access to data on your phone, which you approve as a... a, a an unwitting user. And I actually went back uh, as a result of all of this, having read a lot of the reports on TikTok and what it can do uh, or what it's purported it can do. 
uh, had to go back and undo a lot of the data that it has access to because the stuff that it does have access to is kind of worrying. Oh, so like it's like, able like to like so the, big, the one of the big concerns which will apply to people like us is that TikTok has or TikTok employees have admitted this right. So this isn't just a claim and pointed at it that they spied on contacts of journalists uh, which they accessed through the TikTok app. So they're able, obviously, when you're using apps like Instagram or Twitter or Facebook mm. or TikTok, uh, and you, you can do a find, sync yeah, contact. F- find contacts from the phone numbers that are in your address it book. Has a- access to all of your contacts. TikTok employees admitted that they went back to have a look uh, at journalist contacts and who they were in contact with. So that's a big okay. privacy concern. So that's an immediate admission. Okay. Yes. But then w- where does the, the problem then stem? Like that, that sounds like it's an app developer or a company acting in surreptitious ways. Put a finer point in it. How does this involve China, the country? TikTok, <clears throat> it's different from Twitter and all these other ones, right? In that it is Chinese. And some of the criticism which was going to be pointed at TikTok some people will be very quick to sort of say this is a red scare sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And some of that you'd probably say maybe it is because people are making these claims without actually looking into them first. But if you actually look into it, so ByteDance is the parent company of TikTok. It is based in China. There was actually a really good Australian report into this in which they pointed to the links between ByteDance and the Chinese Communist Party, which is, of course, the ruling party in China, mm-hmm. okay. uh, which is a human rights violating regime. Um Basically, the big concern is, and they have been pointing to this for a long time, is that the access of data can be sent back to China. And if you are a high profile government representative, if you are the president of the United States, if you are a TD or an MP. If you're the minister for further and higher education. Absolutely. If you are any of these people, high profile TikTok users, or you could be journalists or whatever like that, your data, whether that is your map, Uh, your movements, your contacts, your calendar, all of these things are accessed by TikTok. This data can be sent back. And under the Chinese um, legislation, the the 2017 National Intelligence Law, all organisations and citizens shall support, assist and cooperate with Chinese national intelligence efforts. I mean, they're obligated to hand over that data if it's requested by the Chinese government. TikTok has, of course, as they would, deny that they have ever done this. Well, Apart they from there's ever been a request for it. Yes. Yeah. But that's not to say that they don't just do it anyway. Well. So you could have a situation where um, by the Chinese government decides that it wants to know what the contacts of at news chambers on TikTok are doing and that effectively the Chinese government can just have all of that and then they can have access to your calendar or my calendar or any other TikTok user's calendar and contacts book. So have you gone back and unsynced your contacts? I did, yeah. I went back and I undid a lot of that and what it's access to in terms of access to location and things like that. And I was just like, oof. Because, yeah, it was worrying. And, like, there is is an element of... um, There's a a separate element to this, which I'll I'll touch on briefly, is that, like, separate to the privacy and all that sort of stuff, there is a fear in some circles um, that this is effectively going to be used as a propaganda tool by the Chinese well, government. Well, this was the main concern in the, in the United States is that people will be pushed material and content that will be, you know, subliminal messaging. Hot for garbage as well. So, so okay. it's not so much then about um, them having access to other stuff on your phone well, so much no, as they can, the they road, can control equal, what you I think they're equal concerns. It's exactly. two separate concerns, okay. I would say. You know, uh, the idea, and it kind of goes back to... Um, 
what was that Cambridge Analytica stuff but at mm. the time during the Facebook you know Facebook and the elections everything. I think it's kind of a similar concern with TikTok now in terms of what are people consuming in terms of content and what are they being fed in terms of content so it's two separate concerns I would say so there's two problems there mm. one is the individual data and what happens to you and your, your personal data the other is how are you being influenced by the content that you're consuming okay. on that platform and this obviously then has led to this whole spate of um, administrations and European bodies around the world that are mm. deciding that TikTok should now not be installed on their official devices on, on government for, for fear of there being some kind of surveillance, surveillance uh, yeah. advice which has not yet been replicated in Ireland although the National Cybersecurity Centre says that it's looking at it. And would that be do you think Ireland is a little bit slower to cotton on to that because we basically appreciate all the jobs they've created here? <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm, just saying, I'm, just asking, was, I'm just asking I, I, the question. I can imagine government ministers <laughs> tugging their collars like oh. I'm just asking the question. I, I, <laughs> I'm not saying to, that's it. I'm just I hate to question. think that they're that transactional. I know, I know. Um, I'm just saying, like, is that why we're a bit slower? Uh, well, off well, I suppose that there is a legitimate question as to why the Irish advice is materially different. Is there something different about the Irish TikTok user base, or is it just that the Irish government doesn't foresee the surveillance threat that's there? Um, I don't know whether you have an answer to that. But are we not I, worth spying on, Gav? Is well, that what you're saying? <laughs> we had this, well, we had this thing in Leinster House where they were talking about China potentially having some backdoor access to yeah. the CCTV cameras because they but are yeah, produced by they're ago. produced by a Chinese company, and there's a perception again that the Chinese Communist Party could effectively access what they're seeing. And the answer at the time was, well. We're an influential EU country in which a lot of the privacy regulations are effectively set because the Data Protection Commissioner Mm. is here here and when we have a lot of European headquarters. Mm. The one thing that I wanted to tease out though, Richard, is uh, all, all, as you've said, being rational and well-grounded thus far, how is it different to American headquartered social networks and everything that Edward Snowden taught us about mm. the back doors that they have and also the systems that they employ to try and manipulate what they see and the way that they populate their algorithms which could potentially influence you one way or another as well. Mm. couple of points on that. First thing is that people probably should be more aware and more concerned about the access that apps uh, of social networks and Google mm. uh, do have access to on your phone. People probably should do a little bit of a clean through and see what, what exactly, you know, your Google app, Twitter, Blah, 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 yeah. has access Can to. I just say, right, when you were saying that, I already know because I myself am like borderline panicked about like, what do we mean by that? Or people will listen to that and be like, oh, like what no, am I supposed very, to very, do? Actually, you know? here, here, here it is. Here's the good advice for, for today. Here's the thing you can do, a little workshop after you listen to this. Okay. Go to settings on your phone. Go to the privacy settings and it'll go through and it'll have a list of all of your apps, right? Yeah. And it'll go through what each of the apps then has access to. So you can shut down access to your, um, your, your, your contacts list, your calendar, all that sort of stuff. Why do you need these things to have access to your, your calendar, your calendar and stuff like that? Very, yeah. yeah. Like the, the big concern with TikTok is that like literally it can read the serial number on your SIM card uh, and it'll have access to what your Wi-Fi networks are, which is not great stuff for it to have. And then if you delete the app or you decide to leave it, do they retain that data or does it... It's not, like, not entirely clear, clear, is it really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if the other thing as well, I suppose, is like not to like lose sight of the point that TikTok is hugely popular and people absolutely love it and it's yeah. been hugely influential in terms well, of it. You love it. Like, out of the three of us, you're probably the most sort of like mm. TikTok yeah, active yeah. I'm not TikTok active at all actually. I would say now it has actually coloured my perception of the app and what is actually on it because one of the things which um, I think it was the Washington Post pointed to the other day was that um, one of the concerns that you know the West has about TikTok is that not just in terms of you know propaganda and not just in terms specifically of misinformation but that if you wanted to and if TikTok if its algorithm was so inclined you can basically flood the entire algorithm, the For You page and all that sort of mm. stuff with such a, f- a mess of rubbish. Internet 
garbage that you create rows over absolutely everything you can instigate culture wars all this sort of stuff which tears away at the fabric of a sort of a together society mm. like we've had so much talk about the culture wars in Ireland and Britain and the US and all that sort of stuff if the algorithm is pushing all this stuff we've also talked about Andrew Tate no, Andrew all of these Tate. things no, can be go. just yeah. pushed and pushed yeah. and pushed because the algorithm wants it to be pushed. If you can flood that, you can create a huge amount of uncertainty and uh, social instability in countries. So, Which why not? Is then where we get to the point where the, the Biden administration is talking about forcing ByteDance to sell TikTok. So. That if they want to still be able to be accessed in America, that they can't be owned by a company with an alleged backdoor link to the Chinese government. Mm. Yeah, but I wonder as well, when you go back to that, talking about users and how much they love it, how much will users stand for that as well? And will they feel almost like... I don't know. I wonder, will there be some sort of kickback from users? What do you think? Probably will be. I think actually it was it was interesting. Uh, Shou Chu, who is the CEO, uh, he's a Singaporean guy. He's the CEO of TikTok. He's started posting up videos outside Congress basically saying, TikTok users, you tell the US government, you know, how much you love our app and what it's done for you and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. which feels a bit weird. Um, but he has had very little support in terms of actual congressional representatives. One Democrat has now come forward and is like, I love TikTok. Let's all back TikTok. So and has been met <laughs> with a wall of, you're taking bribes from the communists. So, like, well, he's, well, like even yeah. one guy out of 435, like, that's a pretty low success rate. Not exactly a huge power base no. of, of people to play off. But it has been interesting. And some of the comments in response to Show Choose. Uh, call to action have been fairly obviously botty sort of stuff like but it is it's it is what it is the most it's fastest growing social network oh, yeah, no, by a huge distance it is a very beloved app mm. but i think it does have a big problem and this is only going to be a growing problem in how it deals with all this um i don't know whether the sale if it if it does ever go ahead in terms of the us from ByteDance will actually change things and make things better but it does have an attitude problem towards these things which i think is interesting as well like i've spoken to a number of current and former tiktok employees here in ireland who do not seem to be interested, I would say, in getting ahead of concerns people have, whether it be about security, surveillance and and privacy, or in terms of abuse, misinformation uh, and, you know, children accessing adult content. Is that because it's not a publicly traded company and it's privately owned so that they don't feel that they've got that responsibility? Or is there something... In the sort of Elon Musk sort of thing that Elon Musk doesn't really care. If you now email the the Twitter press office, you get an auto-reply with the poo emoji. Yeah. Because it's a a private company now as far as he's concerned. So he's got no responsibility. Which is a really responsible thing to people who are getting like rape threats and get onto Twitter to say, take that down and they get a poo emoji back. Mm. That's really responsible. I think social networks are... Vile institutions. Every at this time point. I open Twitter now, it's asking me to remove that two-factor authentication. Yeah. yeah, there so are there are other, there are other ways, ways to, do to do it. Yeah, okay, which are safer. But look, the, the problem is, I just feel that TikTok has a has a big problem in terms of messaging on this. They haven't they haven't shown any interest in getting ahead of this. Like, there's an element of them saying, like, they, I, I was chatting to one person in particular there who would have a decent enough. Uh, standing within TikTok um, in Dublin. And there was just an attitude there. I was talking to them about, well, what are you going to do to try and... Obviously, the EU is going to clamp down on this. You have the governments in the UK and Canada and Belgium and Holland. All these places are saying, Mm. time's up on this. Uh, We're removing them. What are you going to do about it? It's like, I don't really care. We're we're more interested in telling the good stories. I wonder does that confidence come from a place where people are like, love that app so much, they feel like they've got the people on their side. Like, do they almost feel like they have the numbers and the volume of support? Because... That has that confidence has to come from somewhere. There almost has to be a certainty, you know, based yeah. on their own assessment that people love this app so much and they're so confident in, in the usership that they have. Because, like, let's be honest, like you said yourself before, even the level of engagement you see versus Instagram is like Mad. a yeah. game changer. Like, yeah. it's totally different, you know. So I think there's there's an element of confidence 
there that comes from the idea that perhaps users won't be told what to do by their governments, that they'll, you know, that they'll stay loyal to the brand and stay loyal to the app. It's going to be very interesting to see how it does play out. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that they've launched, launched a couple of initiatives now in terms of, like, you know, child protection, child safety on it, because I do think of all of the apps that I use regularly, mm. it does potentially, I would say, and this is a big, tall statement considering... Twitter exists, right? Mm-hmm. But in terms of overall misinformation and the amount of absolute effluent that can be just spread so quickly in comment sections on videos I put up about, you know, housing or, you know, refugee situation, TikTok has a massive, massive problem. And it does seem to reward bad faith actors and people who are, will literally fling the most crap at a wall. It does seem to reward those people the most. 
that if you raise temperatures on a global average higher than that, that you kick off a series of extreme weather events which effectively make large parts of the world not just inhospitable, but actually uninhabitable. Yeah. That you either have like low-lying areas drowning or areas that are in the, the path of such violent storms that no one could tenably live there yeah. ever. Which, you know, when you think about it in those stark terms, like it, sometimes it, it makes the climate scepticism like just baffling me because like those those are the terms like that's what we're talking about here. I know it's kind of but I feel like every time we talk about it it's kind of what you started out with like it really is quite like shocking to the point of like almost feeling overwhelming for people yeah. on a human level like I think sometimes like on an individual basis you sort of find yourself gasping for like what can I do what can I do but the truth is as you said Richard like we're relying on the world's richest governments to really kind of step up and, and yeah. take that role of, of which we're one <laughs> we are well know. I know I and know. we're laggards as well we're not great yeah. we'll, we'll touch, but like that's something actually I was only reading I've reading a really good book at the moment. It's, uh, it's called uh, Burnham Wood. It's by a New Zealand author called Eleanor Chatton, I think it is. Basically, it's about, do you know the way that all these billionaires are all bu- are trying to build like escapes from climate change in, in New Zealand? Mm-hmm. They're buying like these super bunkers and all that sort of stuff. It's based around that and these basically these ecological pirates who go around planting trees and all that sort of stuff. So there's a conflict between this like sort of an Elon musk sort of billionaire and these New Zealand basically pirates who are planting trees and stuff. It's an unbelievable book. It's probably going to win a book of prizes here, but it's really good. But it just brings it home again to the fact that the people who cause the most damage are the richest people in the world mm-hmm. and the people who suffer the most damage are, you know, some of the poorest in the world. Do I do think it's kind of good though? It's, it's like the culture shift that we see in certain things on small levels. Like, so for example, um, when we talk about say fast fashion right we talk about there was a time where like if you wore something twice you were almost kind of like oh my god I can't believe you wore mm. that twice or whatever whereas now it's like Facebook really ruined that but yeah. you can wear the same thing oh because you your out. picture beyond Bebo and yeah. oh you wore that yeah but I think it's great now that we do have this culture now where everything's changing and people are re-wearing and upcycling and, and sharing clothes and all that kind of stuff but likewise with the private jet culture now like it's kind of like gone from being a real swag thing to be flying private with these big celebrities and it's now more of a like kind Stigma. of embarrassing that you've done that but that, that shifted really probably in the last kind of two to three years which I actually yeah. think like those cultural changes and how we view things will probably have a bit of an impact but I just thought that was interesting that now if you see someone flying private instead of being sort of like that's aspirational you're sort of like what you are you your, doing? Your phone what are you doing? Even Taylor yeah. Swift nearly got cancelled for taking too, a few too many short hop private jet flights mm. and like yeah. it, Taylor Swift can get cancelled like some, yeah. something, something has materially changed. Yeah. Um, the, the stakes of this report so effectively what it's now calling for is for the world's most advanced governments to try and reach uh, net zero, where the amount of carbon emissions that you produce are offset by other ecological initiatives by the year 2040. And that's a big change because previously they were saying 2050, that if you had, if you got halfway there by 2030 and you got rid of them altogether by 2050, then the world could be kept within the acceptable bounds of temperatures rising. And now they're saying 2040, which requires everyone to be way more ambitious. Mm. And ironically, it's coming at a time when Ireland is kind of becoming less ambitious. So th- there's some of our own you know, climate targets that are still undefined. I was speaking to someone in the government who'd know in the last couple of weeks who reckons that eventually the government will collapse, not on housing, but will collapse over emissions. Mm. Because mm. when it comes to figuring out how agriculture and land use, what you have to do to make stuff work, that there, there isn't enough um, ambiguity left that you're going to have to to pull the plug eventually. Um, but so, for example, Ireland was going to originally ban the sale of petrol and diesel cars by the year 2030. Mm. And that's been the, the, the policy for like six or seven years. And then the EU recently adopted a new policy, EU-wide, where they said they were going to phase it out by the year 2035. Now, we're not allowed to depart from an EU policy that they take on in an area like this. So our plans to phase them out by 2030 are now getting delayed by five years. Um, 
they're now being delayed at a time when actually the entire world has been told to pull your socks up because we need to get all this done quicker than was otherwise planned. So it's hard to imagine when the world is kind of looking for get out clauses and slowing down uh, and the world has all the means, like you said, Richard, and has all the resources and all the know-how to be able to achieve all Mm. these things Mm. and hasn't been doing them up till now. You've now been told that you have to get them done quicker and that the job in front of you is harder when the slightly easier job wasn't being done. That's where the bad news comes in. Mm. The, the last email I read into my inbox before we started this was the confirmation from the government that the um, the grant for new electric vehicles was being reduced. <laughs> what? So Why are they doing that? Why well, are they doing that? Is that because more people want them? Actually, do you know, the last couple of taxis I've gotten into have all been electric vehicles. Yeah, it's, a lot if of you're, if you're driving around, moving electric, electric, yeah. Washington, yeah. Lot of, lot of but in Dublin, like a lot of yeah. taxi drivers well, are moving to electric city, there's plenty of, of, of Yeah, really now, like, you know, mm, know great man. impetus there amongst certainly tax drivers I've seen that yeah. are moving to electric. So on the upside, then th- there is something of a roadmap and that the UN has presented it as a roadmap for humanity as long as it's followed. It's whether it's followed is the thing. Is that where we are? Yeah. I think so. Right. Okay. Follow the roadmap, everyone. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Gav, I was absolutely deceased when I saw who you had met the other night. Like, so it was Paddy's day. Yeah, you, you have to, I, you I was spit it out. Oh, <laughs> I've met to- some people. Toby Ziegler from oh, yeah. The West Wing. Yeah, the actor Richard Schiff. Gav, well, uh, truly, well. like, I'm not normally like super starstruck, but no. I was. Like you saw them, I sent you a video and everything. You did. I was I was losing my mind. It was uh, so cool. Uh, that, that was a living your best life kind of moment. Oh, so wow. um, Richard Schiff was at a cultural event thing that was on on St Patrick's Night um, in Washington. So there was this cultural showcase thing being put on, and the teacher was there, and it was the very last event of the whole thing. And suddenly we're like, hey. Richard Schiff, who played Toby Ziegler, oh is there on the other side of the room. For, for just quick pause for, for the younger people. The West Wing is a program in the 1990s set around the uh, West, the, the American it presidential ran, organization. Between, between the West Wing. No, it's not mansplaining. It's actually explaining <laughs> no, to our listeners are way too young for it's it. It's youth explaining. <gasps> oh. So between 1990 and also, it's also something, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut it in early. It's also just the preserve of people who work in politics as well. Like, they love That's it. That's not. Oh, yeah. it completely is. Like, no, completely. It's not. There are loads of non-political completely. people who love It wrestling. is uh, revered by people who think, who have a certain level of naivety that you can just go into politics and be a nice person yeah. and make a difference when there's actually a lot more. And then they go in and they do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but Richard Schiff played Toby Ziegler, who was the communications director and all of that. Um, great character. For between 98 and 2006. Ah, great character. He was a great honestly, character. So best, he, yeah. Also so, a very nice man, by all accounts, Gav. A hugely nice man. Uh, so he was at this event because I think his wife's name is Sheila Kelly, so fair idea hmm. that she uh, might yes, have yes, yes. some Irish links. Um, so he was at the event and myself and another correspondent who can name themselves if they want to, I won't name them, Paul Hosford, yeah. uh, went up and um, asked, mm. could we have a photograph? And he was just very, very lovely and posed for a couple of pictures. And then I was like, wait a minute. Did you do the video for Kira? So it was a few minutes past eight o'clock in Washington, which meant it was a few minutes past midnight, which meant that it was now my wife's birthday. Uh. And having walked away from him, I then went back up and said, sorry, me again, me hassling you again. Very sorry. Um, <laughs> it was my wife's birthday 19 minutes ago. So would you mind awfully sending her a birthday message. Great show. I love and this. He imme- great show. immediately launched into singing happy, happy birthday to her. Aww. And then having concluded that, then asked how you sing it in Irish. Ooh. And sang it in Irish to her. Gav. What a touch. I what a, what a, so that's so a touch of class from this man. What a oh touch. Oh my God. As, as cynical as I am about the West Wing, I've actually so you, this you podcast. you back your cynicism about the West no, Wing. No, because I actually, I, 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 of the characters in the West Wing, Toby Ziegler, top class character, Richard Schiff, good follow on Twitter as well, actually, by the way. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. follow him. Good follow on the socials. Uh, 
What a nice man. What uh, a nice thing. So you're up for husband of the year now at this point. Do well, you think I, mean, it was I, I the did video? miss her birthday by being in America. Well, I was gonna say, so. Do you think the video or the big bag of stuff from Bath and Body Works was the winner in the end? Uh, well, the, big bath of, the, the bag of stuff from Bath and Body Works is, is a more <laughs> annual fixture. So I don't know if that makes me um, any better or lesser. Uh, uh, but the one thing which was um, just really, really surreal about the whole Richard Schiff thing was that uh, we only then realised as we were sort of parting and being like, sorry, we'll let you back to your evening now. Thanks yeah. for indulging us twice. Is that he was there with uh, another actress called Melissa Fitzgerald who plays Carol in The West Wing. There you go. Oh, who's, wow. who's another one of the cast members that they, they just go places together. So crucially, right, and this is the icing on the cake, Richard, he's agreed to do the podcast if he ever comes to Ireland. Has he? Did you not say that? No. no. Did you not say he said? <laughs> you just dreamed this into existence. <laughs> no, I thought that was incredible. I think you've, you've had a fever dream there. Did you not say that if he comes here, you might come hang out with us? Or should I ask you to ask him that? Maybe? Yeah, so you might come hang That's, out with. Ah, boo. Only, oh, never only, mind, only my, minutely like, embarrassing that is. In, in a non holistic sense. Come here. But he did say that he would come and chase us up next time he is in Dublin. That's nice. I'm translating that into the podcast. Let's use that as a lever then to see if he come on. And you can badmouth the West Wing to his face then. I have no intention. I don't want to, to spoil a nice man's evening is what I'm going to do. Uh, come here, just generally on, on the, the Washington trip, is there anything else mad that sort of happened or anything anything good that can peel back the curtain? Because it is, it can be, the stuff that happens on camera, apart from the odd obvious gaffe that we talked about yeah. last week. Uh, and we, we only spoke uh, There was a gaffe literally that happened. A matter of hours after we recorded it. Was he, we possibly was even minutes after. We, maybe maybe uh, it was a couple of hours. It was yeah. literally within three or four hours Incredible. after we recorded um, that he had his, his interns look. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Um, and that he did his internship in DC at a time when parents were worried about the welfare of interns in Washington. Which is a terrible, um, terrible gag, I must well, say. Whether it was Very Jay Leno 1990s gag. Gag or not, I'm not sure. But just what was particularly inopportune was that he'd been sitting down with Hillary Clinton a matter of hours earlier. So to pass a gag about her husband being a sexual predator was, you know, maybe a little little tone deaf, particularly when the Clintons are both coming to Ireland in the space of a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, the one thing which I thought was interesting was there was a big perception at home based on one um, newspaper piece that Leo Varadkar had snubbed some investors by um, not yes. going to lunch with them. And that really puzzled people around Leo Varadkar because Leo Varadkar had, in fact, met the very investors concerned. He had fulfilled exactly what the scheduled meeting was. And there was a suggestion then that when they invite him to hang back or that they expected him to hobnob over lunch, that he made it clear that his schedule was micromanaged and that he had other things to do, like being briefed on what was going on at home. So they found it a bit peculiar that he was being accused of snubbing people by fulfilling the scheduled meeting. Uh, which is a bit just interesting to put on the record. Now, granted, there, there's always two sides to every story, and you can definitely say that one reason why the Taoiseach should go to these events is because there might be a networking opportunity beyond what is strictly allowed for in the diary, but just one little instance of how not everything was as perceived. It's more looking for the crack, Gavin. I was just going to say, did you get shot Niall Horan at all, or what was the crack No, there? in fact, no, I, I boycotted that because I went to the other school in Mullingar than him. Uh, there were two graduates of the music school of St. Vinnie's College in Mullingar in the room, been late, <laughs> made listen to a CBS fella. Uh, but to be fair, he was actually very good. I'd never heard him live before. Mm. And when you hear him like live in 
I, I know it's a function room in the White House, but it is a relatively intimate setting. Mm. There was no fallback. There was no pre-production. It was all just live stuff. And that guy can hold a tune. Yeah, he's going to be a judge on The Voice in the States. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I saw mm. a billboard when we were in LA. So the usual, the usual suspects were there as well. Joe Brawley, Rob Carney, Lurita, Blewett, all yeah. those. Rob Carney flew straight back out. And was on Virgin Media Sports the next day. Yeah. I was yeah, astonished was, was, to see that. He was That's my transatlantic travel inspo. That if, if he can go back and he can go telly the following day, that I, I could definitely roll in for radio. Ounce of jet lag in that man's face. Yeah. He did tell me that he had gotten <laughs> Joe's people to do his makeup before the plane to try and make sure that he looked looked well for everyone uh, on incredible. Grand Slam Saturday. Uh, so yeah, oh, we he won the it, Grand Slam. We did. We fair play. Should mention that. That was class. Uh, so well done, Ireland. Uh, we're completely out of time. Um, it's been great to be back again in the room. I hope yeah, we get to do it much nice, more. Actually. Yeah, it has been nice. Yeah, it's been lovely. Uh, thank you, Richard. Richard. Thank you very much. Thank yes. you, Zara. Thank you. Thank you, everyone in the gallery. Dan, Maxine, uh, Gareth, Ross, Rory, all the team, and we will catch you again next time. 